good evening, sweet world. It is October 11th, 2020. Uh, impromptu episode, a bittersweet episode. Uh, the end of the season, the end of the bubble run is upon us. The Los Angeles Lakers are your 2020 uh, NBA champions. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers. Congratulations to finals MVP, uh, LeBron James and company. Anthony Davis notching his first championship. Rajon Rondo becoming the first NBA championship to have played and won on the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. Uh, we're here in the moment. Going to get this uploaded to you guys as soon as possible. What is your immediate reaction, Jonathan? Uh, we are the Shot Callers. Thank you for listening. We're going right to JV. Well, first of all, it's real weird to think that uh, it's October and the NBA season is ending as opposed to starting, right? It's usually close to the start of the regular NBA season. And we're just now wrapping up last year's uh, season, you know, so what, a calendar year since probably first tip off. I would I would actually be curious to see when the first tip off was this year. I didn't look that up. But uh, just thinking about it now, I'm like, whoa, we're back in October and we're barely crowning a champion. So um, that just, you know, encapsulates everything that 2020 has been. It's just so unorthodox to think that in the fall we're crowning the NBA champion. And uh, again, like you said, congratulations to the LA Lakers. Congratulations to the to LeBron James on his fourth Finals MVP and of course fourth title. Um, the first like sudden response as far as the Lakers being champions, Rich, is you don't think that stuff like this is actually going to happen when you first hear about those trades at the beginning of the year of the or actually last offseason when you're like, oh, Anthony Davis heads to the Lakers. You're like. Eh, it's a long shot. Not because they're not good enough, but just because of the way that it went down. You're just like, well, in, in an ideal world, away, they just go. Trading away Josh Hart, trading away Brandon Ingram, trading away Lonzo Ball. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, you're just like, oh, they gave up so much. There's no way. Like, good luck. Like, you gave up everything around you. It's a team game, et cetera, et cetera. And even when, you know, they, they were doing what they were doing in the regular season and then they get to the playoffs. And you're just like, well, they got to get through too many people. You know, they got to get through way too many teams. I don't know if two West guys is can... stacked. The West is stacked exactly, and they pulled it off. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of wild to think about it because it has been a while since first of all the Lakers have even been in this position, and to think that uh, in his second year, LeBron James with the help of Anthony Davis were actually able to not just get to the finals but win it uh, in the in the fashion that they did. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I mean. Not completely unexpected, I guess, because it is LeBron James and it is Anthony Davis, but I'm still yeah, kind of like... they were the number one seed with a top defense in the NBA with two uh, awesome talents. Uh, so <laughs> definitely had the capability of doing it, but you just weren't sure if they were going to be able to overcome every punch that the league could throw at them, especially with all the topsy-turviness of the shutdown and the bubble and the environment and having all those question marks still overcoming it at the end. Yeah, well, we're just so used to the big three, right? We're so used to teams winning with a big three. So even then, you're like, oh, it's only two of them. They need, they don't have a real third guy. Danny Green, what? He's a role player now after kind of seeing how he did in these. Uh, he's still a winner. I'm not taking anything away from him. He's definitely a winner. But he's not like a, a true third guy, you know, when you think about big three. When you think about all the way back to the Celtics, they had Ray Allen, right? That was a true number three. Um, when you think about on LeBron's team with the Heat, yeah, Chris Bosh on LeBron's team, and then of course uh, Draymond Green on that first Warriors team. But even then, it became you know the what they call the Hampton Five, so it went past the Big Three. So to yeah. suddenly revert to this era of duos, right? That was something that was talked about a lot during the offseason. Is the era of the duos? I I feel like there's gonna be like a ramp up period, 
And maybe the reason that didn't happen is because the Warriors went out in the fashion they did. A lot of injuries, right? So nobody really had to – they didn't really have to defend or get a chance to defend their Western Conference reign, you know, because it had been, what, how many years in a row? Five? Four Five trips to the finals in a row because they faced LeBron four times. Well, no, they won one. They lost one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they won two. So five. Yeah, five, five, five. Yeah. So the five in a row, and they didn't get to defend that, right, because of injuries, obviously. So then the era of the duos kind of just was, like, immediate. Like, okay, the Warriors are out of the picture. It's kind of like when Jordan retired, right? Jordan's out of the picture. Who's going to go in a title? <laughs> and Jordan's then, looking around the room like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, who's turning it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So I guess that's probably why – it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that they were able to do it because if you talk about duels, I mean, was there a better duel that you could think of out there, Richard? On paper, we all were talking ourselves into the Los Angeles, the LA Clippers, uh, just on the other side of the of the street or the other side of the locker room. But we've talked so much about the Los Angeles Lakers so far, and they deserve it. They are the champions. I think it would be remiss to talk about, uh, you know, things that have happened in previous finals without thinking about what happened in the previous game to this game six that clinched it. The Miami Heat put up way better of a fight than we thought they were going to, especially after that first game where they were ravaged by injury. Well, actually, at first, we thought, like, man, the the Heat are the sexy pick in the conference finals, you know, beating the uh, the Celtics, and then going into, uh, you know, the finals, they were like, oh, man, can they do it? They play, like, such a cohesive team. They remind everyone of the Detroit Pistons. They got Goran Dragic. They got Bam Adebayo. They got Jimmy Butler. We don't know who's going to step up on what night. Uh, Tyler Hero's going crazy. And then it all just seemingly crumbled to ashes before everyone's very eyes in the first two quarters. And then they rose up like a phoenix. Like, what what's going on here? And it was... Like, it was amazing to watch. JV, me and you were texting each other in this game five, the one I'm going to bring up in just a second because I got so many things that I highlighted in that game. Like, heart was pounding. That was a, a game that we were oh, yeah. lucky to be able to witness uh, when it looked so bleak just as a spectator. Uh, I was telling my roommate, I said, we well, just don't get an exciting finals every year. And then it turned into one after we thought it was going to be so bleak. Uh, what is going to be a lasting memory of this finals uh, series for you? I think for me, it's going to be... Um... Jimmy Butler towards the end of that game, you're talking about game five, um, just very Jordan-esque. And it's funny because early in his career when he was in Chicago, a lot of people drew comparisons just because of, you know, that one season. What did you say the main reason is people compared him to Michael Jordan, Rich? Well, no, it was, it's, one specific moment on that I, no, it's one specific <laughs> moment that, uh, that always sticks out to me is when he put up two points in the first half of a Chicago Bulls game. I think it was against the Timberwolves. And then he put up 38 points in the next half. And it was just so much driving to the basket, mid-range, fadeaway, step-back shots. He had it going, kind of like he had it going in Game 3 and in Game 5 for the Heat. Um, but just the fact that he had the master of the mid-range and all the different moves around the basket without focusing on three, the first question that came out of the sideline reporter's mouth that evening was like, you're reminding us of... And then she said... Yeah. And then he said, you better stop. <laughs> We're yeah. not talking about that guy right now. Yeah. Don't compare me to him. So but playing in Chicago, it's hard not to draw those comparisons. Definitely. Performances so, like that. So there was a particular play, and it wasn't super late into the game, but it was, I believe, in early fourth quarter where he drove. It wasn't the fourth quarter because I remember uh, Jeff Van Gunny uh, commenting on this play, and it stood out to me because I was like, damn, this man just, like, went right at the rim. You know, Anthony Davis coming at him, didn't shy away from the contact, threw his body into, you know, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, you know, got as big as he could. Jeff Van Gundy explained why that wasn't actually verticality because you're you know, talking about when of... he jumped forward. Yeah, yeah. Part, but... of, part of verticality is jumping upward and having but... your hands up. Yeah, but when Jimmy Butler went into him and was like, "I don't care, I'm still putting up this shot," 
raided the block and was able to put it in for the N1, it was like, okay, he's turning it on right here. And the thing that's the reason that stood out to me is because every play after that, regardless of how exhausted he was, he still did not shy away from driving to the to the bucket. And we saw that in those last two big uh, last two uh, big drives to the rim that actually resulted in uh, in free throws, um, which were clutch free throws. He made all four. That's pretty much what solidified the game because if you settle for more so what we've seen from the Heat a little bit earlier in the season where it's kind of like rotate, 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 find the open man and, you know, shoot the jumper. Uh, I always do feel like in those situations, even though it's the right play a lot of times, you're still settling late in the game when it's a one-possession game to be going for like a, a, a three-point shot. I've never been a big fan of that. You know I like the mid-range game. But particularly when you're down by a point, why are we settling for a three-point shot? You have plenty of time to, you know, to chop away at the lead. And in this case, it's a one-point lead, so it's really teeter-totter, right? This bucket's going to put you in the lead. It, put, it changes the way you run your defense. And rather than them saying, okay, we're going to play the same, we're going to run the same pick and roll or the same, you know, uh, you name it, high pick and roll, et cetera, to rotate the ball around, we're just going to put in Jimmy's hand we're going to let him ISO. Right. And as soon as he, you know, sees daylight, he's going to go at the rim and he drew two big fouls and he made all four free throws. And that's ultimately what gave his team the lead and forced LeBron to try to make a, a Herculean effort at the end. He made the smart play. Danny Green and, and even LeBron got a lot of shit for that, but it was the right play. It just doesn't go your way sometimes. But it was just crazy to see just how tired Jimmy was. And I was just like, dude, Jimmy Butler gets no respect. He's definitely gonna. He's definitely earned his respect in this series from any doubter that he might have had, especially after his previous stops. And the thing I wanted to say to you, bringing up that Jimmy Butler drive towards AD, taking it straight to his body, Anthony Davis is such an imposing defender, especially in Game uh, Four, where their adjustment uh, to you know, for the Lakers to come back and and go up three one after being uh, at a two one uh, point in the series, um, was that. Jimmy had a lot of problems with Anthony Davis's length at that moment, uh, getting right up in his body. Anthony Davis could absorb the contact and still uh, bother the shot with his arms. Uh, I have a note here uh, where Jimmy Butler drove to the rim, or he wasn't even driving to the rim. He was about to catch the pass, trucked uh, Anthony Davis in the gut, basically, and they didn't call a foul because it's finals basketball. Then he backed up and took the shot. He needed to truck Anthony Davis just to get enough space to get his jumper off. That's how good of a defender that Anthony Davis is. And then, uh, you know, in the instances that you're talking about, they're letting him get downhill with a little bit more space so that he can choose the distance that he wants to shoot from. And he had it going for the mid-range, which brings me forward to game six for Anthony Davis. That dude was a man, like, he was a, he was a ghost. Like, he was, you didn't know where he was exactly. The Heat didn't know where he was because they obviously don't have the angle, the camera angles that we do to see the entire floor. But no matter what or where anybody is shooting from, they were all looking over their shoulders for Anthony Davis's arms to be blocking that shot. Um, he was able to help on defense and recover back to his man, scramble into open spaces, and still just be a great, great help side defender, a lot like uh, LeBron James has terrorized people for years and years and years. So uh, I haven't looked at the finals MVP voting, but between games five and six, I think Anthony Davis definitely bolstered his case for just being super impactful. And I would be surprised if he didn't garner three of those ten MVP, finals MVP votes. Like that guy was monstrous, even on that hurt heel that he suffered in Game Five, where we thought, "Is this gonna twist the game?" LeBron had that reaction, like, "Oh shit, here we go again." You know what I mean? So, oof. yeah. Well, that was gonna be my next point. That was gonna lead me into how you felt about that Finals MVP vote, because 
um, not to just harp talk about game five, but kind of across the series and other series as well. It seemed like when Anthony Davis wasn't on the floor, there just wasn't that same kind of synergy uh, between the wings and, you know, the, 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 the post player, whether it was, you know, throwing it into the post for LeBron, which I don't know why he posts up still to this day sometimes. That's not his game. Um, what is he going to do, fade away on you? Uh, it's just been I weird mean, to sometimes, me. Sometimes, but sometimes, yeah, right? But it's not the ideal play. Like let him, let him be the ball handler, or let him move off ball and slash the rim. You know, and this. Yeah, he, he put up a masterclass on finishing around the rim. The Heat couldn't buy exactly. a game six. Exactly, we saw and... this in, in game six today. Give him the ball, run the pick and roll, run the ISO. However, right, but he slashed to the rim. It's like, it, uh, I think it was uh, Van Gundy who said it today. He said, you don't throw your arms and try to stop LeBron. You don't throw your hands at him and try to stop LeBron. Oh, you got to throw your body that. at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't win it by trying to throw your arms at him. It's just not going to happen. You're going to draw contact every time, and he's going to go to the line. And that's what he was doing tonight, and they just had no answer for it. Uh, on top of just some early shooting woes from the Heat. Um, but I want to talk about game five because it seemed like uh, there was a lot. Like, again, it was a very close game even to the very end, but there, whenever uh, – Anthony Davis first went down with an ankle injury. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. It seemed like the the air in the room almost shifted, right? Like everybody was like, "Oh, what's next? What's next?" Um, and I told, I was watching it with my wife, and I told her, I was like, "Watch, the Heat are about to open up a ten point lead right here because they just had no answer for Anthony Davis. They can't play zone the way that they would want to against LeBron James or against that team in general when you have Anthony Davis because you dish it into the post and your your zone is gone. You can bring the help all you want, but like." The defense just collapses. Like it, it, it's everybody trying to, you know, run and, and switch up. And as well as the Heat are at that, it's still not the ideal way to play defense. So as soon as Anthony Davis went out, I was like, look, they don't have their primary rebounder on the floor, even though LeBron James does average more rebounds. But you know, he's the one that averages more uh, offensive rebounds and gets a lot of second chance point chance points off of that. And I was like, just watch. Like they can run their their zone up defense. They can allow whatever shooter to take a shot because they don't have any killers out there. Rich, like they really just don't, right? And they, the Heat? Are you talking about the, the about the, the Lakers? They the don't Lakers have like now. they don't really have like a killer out there. You're like, be careful. You can just run around the pick and roll, kind of like Golden State, right? And nobody's as good as Golden State. But I was just like, they don't have to worry about that on defense. They allow the people to take their mid-range jump shots, their three-point shots. They're going to live with that. They grab the rebounds because now they have size, right? Bam, can grab the boards. And now on the other end, like, they don't have anybody that's going to chase down these shooters. And there's not really, not really anybody that Jimmy Buller has to be worried about when he drives to the, to the rim. He's okay with all those other guys being at, meeting him at the rim. He can, he, can, uh, put a body, he can throw his body at them. And they can't quite absorb the contact the same way you mentioned Anthony Davis can. And yes, in a matter of a minute and fit like 15 seconds, they grew their lead to nine points, you know? And so at that point, I was like, there's no way that people can think LeBron James is great. And this team obviously doesn't win a title without him. But there's no way people can really think that LeBron is the cog. Like, even though he's the ultimate facilitator, like that offense and that and the defense of the Miami Heat or any other team is just so different when Anthony Davis is on the floor. Like, you can't play the normal way. Like with LeBron, you play zoning, you force him to shoot over it and you bring the help. You have a little, you stand a little bit more of a chance because you have the ability to to time it right, to bring the double team and then just you know li- even live with the outside shooters. But with Anthony Davis, like when he's in the interior, even if the ball's not in his hand, they shoot it and you're like, are we gonna get the rebound? 
Like, are we yeah, even yeah, able to rebound, that yeah, Exactly, exactly. He was in all the right spots, especially in this game six. And the major adjustment that the Heat made in game five to game, and game six is they were doubling him as soon as he caught the ball, making that catch uncomfortable so that he couldn't get the ball lower into, you know, wherever his pocket is to try to make a, a dribble to the right or the left or make his yeah. move, take a step. So just the fact that you have to shift your defense immediately when Anthony Davis got the ball to, to be most effective is mm-hmm. different from when you throw it to LeBron and then you can try to scramble based on what he chooses to do, whether it is go yeah, shoot or he, go towards think, the rim. I mean, he is pass first. Like, LeBron yeah. is pass first. And, I mean, in today's game, I mean, the second chance points, I would, I, I need to pull up the stats for the entire series, but just in tonight's game alone, they were plus 13, Rich, in second chance points. That so is game, insane. <laughs> like, I, I definitely have a lot of notes as far as what I noticed during game uh, six, but, and I don't want to say this in too harsh of a manner, but the Heat, and I don't want to get into these cliches, you know how much I hate cliches, but the Heat just did not have any intensity on defense as far as, other than doubling Anthony Davis on the catch, and they just were not in the zone as far as giving themselves easy opportunities to keep themselves within striking distance. They missed a bunch of free throws, they missed a bunch of layups, and the number one, there's two, I think, main reasons that I can pin uh, the loss on. But the, by far, the biggest one is Bam Adebayo. He was not mm-hmm. effective on help defense. He was not effective on all the ball defense. He wasn't a major force uh, <clears throat> making the Lakers box him out. He wasn't boxing out effectively. And he wasn't finishing with conviction around the basket. And I know that he's injured. I know it. Uh, he wasn't his normal self uh, in game four, in game three. When he came back, I believe it was game three. Um, or was it yeah. game four, five, six? Uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, four, five, uh, six. Four, yeah, five, six. Four, five, six. And so it's just unfortunate that you can see that he maybe doesn't have his conditioning uh, the way that he wants it to be or just is laboring under some sort of pain. Everyone's in pain at this point of the series, but that was the main factor that could have kept him in the game, and and he was unable to provide that for his team. And then the second thing, uh, and I'm not an NBA coach, I I know this, but when they were getting shellacked, there was a bludgeoning, as Mike Breen called it on uh, on the broadcast, not the podcast. This is the podcast. Um, they were on a, they were getting bludgeoned. They were on, an, I think they were down 20, almost 30 points in the second quarter and not a timeout was called and not a lineup change was, was, was called for. And, uh, the Lakers defense was swarming. They were everywhere. Not just Anthony Davis. Rajon Rondo was in passing lanes. Rajon Rondo had 19 points in this game. He was finishing everything. He was shooting with conviction. LeBron James was getting to the rim at will. So they were steamrolling, but if they're steamrolling, you know, I'm a, I'm someone that likes change. I'm I'm willing to embrace new strategies. I think that they should have tried to go to Kelly Olynyk to stretch the floor and get Anthony Davis away from the rim. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy did bring it up on the on the broadcast like maybe a minute after I thought of it myself. But yeah. just give it a shot. Myers Leonard uh, and uh, Kelly Olynyk were on the floor when they had an efficient offense in Game Three, so it's worth a try. And then what surprised me even more is that they brought up the same starting lineup to start the second half. They didn't even change it at that point. So yeah, just the unwillingness to change is what really surprised me and that did them in. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say, if we think about back to, to game three, because they were missing, you know, Dragic has missing basically since game one mm-hmm. and they were missing, um, they were missing Bam Adebayo, but they were able to pull out the game three win mm-hmm. and you just touched on it. The reason is you're 13, you're 13 deep for a reason, man. Like mm-hmm. we got to change something up. There's some guys that are better at one particular part of their game that just, uh, changes it up for you. I, I always mention this player because I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, but uh, Collins, that Collins for the for the Portland Trailblazers, Trailblazers. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Portland Trailblazers. Can he shoot? 
Sometimes, but not yeah. really. But you give it a try. Is he a scorer? Like, is he? No. Are you like, go get a no. bucket? That he's not polished. Exactly. But he's a guy that can defend the perimeter. He's a solid def- uh, rebounder. And he's somebody where he will meet somebody at the rim and is not afraid yeah. he'll, of the contact. He'll put his body in the mix. Exactly. So sometimes, you know, you switch it up to make the other big uncomfortable. Yeah. Same thing you here. Give him a different look. Exactly. You dance as a boxer. I'm also not a boxer. If somebody is so com- comfortable, you have to figure out how to make him comfortable. And Anthony Davis was super comfortable. And yeah. they never tried to make him uncomfortable. LeBron James is very comfortable. Now, there's not much that I think the Heat could have necessarily thrown at him. But maybe if he does meet some big bodies like he did in the Portland series, there was times where he's like, oh, well, I don't want to go in because I've got to meet Hassan Whiteside and uh, Nurkic uh, at the rim, right? So he has to think a little bit – he has to think twice about being able to do that. And, yeah, you might foul him, but he doesn't get the N1 because somebody just swiped at his hand, you know, like – it's too easy for him. It's way too easy for him. And you're right. They just did not make the adjustments. So um, you could chalk that up to coaching. Like you said, you're not a coach. I'm not a coach. But, you know, at that point, you're down 20. Try something different. It's a closeout game. Your, your season's on the line. Like, we can't just be like, let, will it into existence. So I'm glad you pointed that out for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, you mentioned you mentioned playoff fouls. Like, it was a hard fought series. And just one foul, one foul was, was, uh, emblematic of, of playoff intensity was when LeBron went to the rim, he fumbled the ball on the way up, ended up getting blocked, but blocked by Bam from the help side. But uh, Jimmy Butler said, you are not scoring. He, uh, LeBron had two hands on the ball like I'm seeing, and then Jimmy was yanking his elbow down like this. Mm-hmm. When LeBron was on the ground already, he said, you're not scoring. And that was yep. the intensity that I wanted to see from everyone that yeah. I didn't quite see. And Andre and I mentioned it in our previous podcast. Khalil Linick was boxing out more like a big man as opposed to a guard in that past game. Myers Leonard had a finish it offense flowing through him, getting the ball moving. Andre Iguodala gets the ball moving too, but he was a total dud on, on offense. And I'm kind of throwing this whole box score out. Everyone played horribly. Everybody was at a minus in the game like this. It's inflated because of the fourth Because of the blowout, anyway. of course. And yeah, yeah and then Kelly Linick <laughs> got in the game. So if you look at the, at the box score and you're like, Rich, you're full of shit. Like, it's not true. Please go watch the game. Um, but uh, but yeah. So the final kinda... score, the final score does make it seem like like a totally different game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The final, exactly. But but yeah. So that's kind of no, where you're, I'm at. And, and to your point earlier, I'm uh, sorry before you jump to the next point because you just mentioned Kelly Olynyk and what he was doing in Game Three, boxing out. That's the energy that you need. And if your big man is hurt, right? Batman Bayo, he's hurt. He's playing hurt. He obviously doesn't have the same energy. Kelly Linick hasn't played a ton of minutes. He's not in the same situation that a lot of these guys have been. We have to remember, they were in a bubble. They've been in a bubble for the last how many months? You know, playing uh, 90 almost, days, almost three play, months. Yeah, playing games much more frequently than a normal playoff series, right? Because a normal playoff series, okay, we play two in LA, then we have two days off because we got to fly to Miami. In some cases, they have two days off, uh, uh, three days off. You know, it just depends on the way the series plays out. But, you know, Kelly Linick hasn't been playing that many minutes. He showed a lot of energy in game three. He's probably ready to run around the whole court for the next 20 minutes. No problem. Yep. Throw him in there. He's He's got energy. He's got the stamina right now. And this didn't happen. Would that have changed the outcome? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to tell. It's hard probably to say. Probably not. But you can probably. yank him if it's not working. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you did it in the third quarter, probably not. But early in the game, when you see those shooting woes, like you were talking about missing layups, Bam was missing, uh, you know, Floaters short, stuff that he was making, no problem, you know, earlier in the year. Um, that's a sign of, of a little bit of a problem, and we maybe need to change it up. 
Um, the fact that you have to have Jimmy Butler shoot threes to get some kind of offense going on early in the second. Uh, uh, they had Andre Andre Godala shoot two three-point shots in a row on a possession where Goran Dragic, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and I think Kendrick Nunn were all on the floor. So it was just all out of whack. And, and uh, you put Goran Dragic in the game. That's experimental. We don't know what he's going to look like on his foot. You know, that's not a sentimental, I feel sorry kind of thing. You're seeing if he's going to give you a spark. And they did it at a point in the game where it wasn't that dangerous. They put him in with one minute to go in the first quarter, so two or three yeah. possessions. And if the Lakers start getting on a spark, there's only one minute left. It can't be that bad. So yeah, and I think at that point, at that point they were only. Up. I think at that point they were only down about six. Thirteen. No, it was like thirteen. They were down thirteen already at that point. Ten when to thirteen. Came I'm not sure. I, I have to look at the score. No, it was one minute left. Up. But I just know that it wasn't unmanageable. I started thinking it was unmanageable at about six minutes left in the second. I thought to myself, they're heater down 13. I said they cannot sustain a 20-point comeback. There's no way with the way that the offense is clicking right now. Uh, Tyler Hero didn't have it going. Uh, but, yeah, so we've been uh, kind of railing on the heat. I don't want to take away from their historic, awesome-to-watch playoff bubble run. I can't think of a team I've had more fun watching through each round and a player that I've enjoyed yeah. – just the spirit and the attitude of more than Jimmy Butler. Um, I feel like when I am carefree and happy-go-lucky when I'm in that mood, I feel that's how Jimmy Butler feels when he's playing basketball with the team like he's playing with right now. I feel like he's carefree, happy-go-lucky, and doesn't have any other sort of like pressures or weird things going on behind the scenes holding him back. He was just focused on, on basketball, and I think he's the true winner of the bubble, uh, besides the Suns, who are 8-0. Yeah, and had, what it, before I talk about uh, what really frustrated me as far as the Heat go, uh, what do you think is next for the Heat? Do you think they're in a position to make another run? Do they need to add a piece? Yeah, they got, they think... got room for to sign somebody, man. They're going to be trying to get Giannis down there. They would have to trade for him, obviously. Oh, um, uh, well, I'm what, talking what about the, the season, season after next. Oh, the season after that? Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So the one person that I, that I think you know who I'm talking about frustrated the hell out of me in this series and the, the whole Miami series, Heat. so all all, the all six Heat. games was it was it Tyler Hero? <laughs> no, oh. it was Jay Crowder. Oh, I'm... oh, no! Why am I saying this? Yes, I I should show you guys my phone. All the text from Jonathan here. Jay oh Crowder, Jay goodness. Crowder, Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder. Uh, all my notes here have uh, I I abbreviate all the players JC99, and I have several circles of you know things that I think about saying about Jay Crowder, you know, missed shot, turnover, missed free throws. But on each of those, I have it circled, and it says JV because I know JV is going to hit it, so I don't have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go ahead, JV. Please talk about whatever you want. <laughs> so it was just frustrating to see. And I know you mentioned this when we talked about it. Like, we know what he brings on defense. He he was guarding, you know, Stout. LeBron or Anthony. Yeah, Stout definitely. Man. Exactly. He can put a body on a guy. He's going to – Move his feet. Tr- yeah, exactly. He's he's not lazy. He's not going to – he's going to give you everything on defense. My problem is I wish he would have done some what he used to do a little bit more of when he was back in Dallas, and I know his game's probably developed uh, a lot since then. Three teams um, since then, fourth team. But he would he would come off screens, or you know he'd come off whenever they're rotating the ball, and he he'd catch the ball at the top of the key. What he used to do in Dallas is he would take a step forward, and he had kind of like a floater finish where he was more mid range. And for some reason, I mean, I understand that maybe he played this whole year. You know, I didn't watch Jay Crowder particularly. He's probably given more free reign to shoot from three. But this man was shooting contested threes and free th- uh, wide open threes. And it was the same result. Short, short, short every single time it felt like. 
And regress to the mean. Uh, I mentioned to you when he got traded from Memphis. I said this guy's shooting twenty eight percent, and then I said, JV, this guy's shooting thirty seven percent on the Heat. Mm, And you were like, and you said, Rich, you don't don't you think team has something to do with that? And I was like, you're right, but he turned back into a pumpkin this series, man. (laughs) Exactly. So like I said, a team just has something to do with it, right? Because he is he has the ability to be more open. You know, those other shooters, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. They they space the floor to a point where it's like, okay, pick your poison. We're okay with Jay Crowder taking this shot, right? Jay Crowder's going to have more space. So that's probably what happened during the regular season. But in this series, he couldn't buy a three-pointer in. He was uh, one for five tonight, two for nine in game five. And then in game three, he was, uh, I believe, yeah, he was two for seven, two for seven, which, you know, under 30% each of those nights. And um, it was just so frustrating to watch. Um because I feel like he could have done more going to the rim and, like I said, and going more for a mid-range shot. Um, and it could be a lot of that where it's like, hey, I've been doing it all season. Why would I stop now? But, man, when you're in a game that's so tightly contested, like at least at the beginning of this game was, right, it felt like at the fir- at, towards the end of the first quarter you were like, okay, this is going to be another one of those games where it's just like they're going to keep it close, going to keep it close, and it's going to be anybody's game. And during those times, like there were so many moments where, you know, Bam missed the shot. Uh, Jimmy missed the shot, and then Jay Crowder's taking threes, and they're just not going in. And I'm like, they haven't been going in for the last three games, bro. Like, we got to try something different. And it was just yeah. frustrating. To and then he was turning the ball over like crazy yes. last game. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and he just, like, missed two free throws in, in game six here tonight. Yeah, and just to your point, dude. to your point, yeah, exactly. Shooting those threes, missing them. And if it's not going, he, he drove to the rim. But I swear to God, it looked like he'd never shot a layup in his life. He didn't have a contest in front of him. He had somebody kind of kind of on his heels. Yeah. But he the ball ricocheted off the backboard as though he was throwing an alley oop Tanthony Davis like an NBA jam, you know, volume three to catch so it that, off the backboard and dunk it. That's what tends to happen when a non natural three point shooter tries to become a jump shooter, I've noticed. Um somebody who's a little bit better at that here in Dallas, and I, I use Dallas because I've watched him obviously a lot more is uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, who improved his three-point shooting drastically. But when he goes to the rim, he has not – it's almost as if Jay Crowder stopped practicing that stuff. And he's he's weary of going to the rim for fear of getting stuffed or something. And he just doesn't have a finishing move, whereas Dorian Finney-Smith, he can finish at the rim. He's a little bit more comfortable either with floating it in or actually going to the bucket and absorbing some contact. And Jay Crowder, to your point right there, like – He's shying away from it. He's like, oh, somebody's on my somebody's on my waist. I need to be careful with this ball. And he ends up just chucking it away. Yeah. Um, he was shooting threes the way I wish Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson were shooting threes these last two games. Oh. These guys were passing? Are you no, passing? No. Why are you uh, passing? No, Robinson <laughs> Robinson, is... Robinson shot seven threes last game. I get that. But well, Andy's Tyler... dynamic and gets the ball flowing. So uh, there will be no Duncan Robinson even accidental mm. slander on this, on this episode. Uh, but what I wanted to say was you mentioned Tyler Hero. Um, he's so much fun to watch. He's so young looking. Yes, we know he looks like he's a baby out there uh, in the NBA finals, 20 years old, just two years ago. He's in high school, all crazy. Right. And he makes crazy shots in big moments, which is what everybody appreciates. He had that snarl at think in game three when Jimmy Butler was going crazy and he chipped in to kind of put him over the edge. Me and Andre were imitating the snarl on this last episode of the, yeah, uh, <laughs> there goes JB. I, <laughs> um, I definitely can't, but anyway, uh, he can make difficult shots. He's not afraid of the moment. You've heard all the pundits say all the same things. But what's frustrating for me and what I hope 
uh, he gets to develop further is he's good at making difficult shots in big moments. He's not afraid of it, right? That sky-high floater over Anthony Davis in game five, I think it was, to seal the deal for the Heat. Uh, the most big contested threes off the pick and roll on the left wing, right wing, those shots stay for superstars. He makes those too. But it's when, you know, run-of-the-mill first quarter, second quarter moments where he's got some contest on him and he can go for a under-the-backboard layup, but it's as though he makes it more difficult for himself. He doesn't go to his... He doesn't put the ball in two hands to choose the right one to go under the the, the rim with. He will keep it in one hand, try to balance it, and then just kind of lay it up all in yeah, one he did that motion. Today in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah so the ones that he makes more difficult for himself, like, why do that? Yes, you can take the difficult ones when the opponents make it difficult, but don't make it harder on yourself. And I think yeah. that's something that he's going to rein in. Uh, in the coming years, he's he's only 20 years old. He's going to be in the league for a million years. So yeah, I sure hope I so. Expect. So very exciting stuff from the Miami Heat. Good job getting to the finals when nobody really expected him to, outside of I, probably I you guys, uh, <laughs> outside of you and Andre. Um, let's spend a little bit of time before we, you know, talking about just, Alex Caruso. Let's talk a little bit about the about the the champions, the the LA Lakers. Man, I think we've congratulated him obviously, but. You know, is there anything else that stood out to you besides the dynamic duo, LeBron James? Well, props to uh, props to Frank Vogel for making a starting lineup change. I, I I brought this up. I think it was before after Game Three when Jimmy Butler went radioactive. Um, they made defensive adjustments. They went under on Jimmy Butler, which Eric Spoelstra and company made counter adjustments too. But they made it so that he was uh more open for three, not chasing him uh, over screens anymore, so you couldn't drive and get. Uh, you know, matched up on any barbecue chicken that he wanted to. So props to him for making defensive adjustments. Props for not being afraid to pull guys that have gotten in there at that point. JaVale McGee didn't see a single uh, minute in this off in this uh, final series. So uh, definitely not afraid to mix things up. And like I said, uh, he ended up pulling Dwight Howard at the start of this game, putting in Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso had one turnover and five assists. That guy keeps the ball moving. That guy gets big rebounds when you least expect it he's able to dribble the ball and not turn over as i just said one turnover and just the ultimate team player and his gamble paid off so i want to say a lot of credit to the coaching staff on the lakers a lot of credit to alex caruso contavious caldwell pope was looking like he was finals mvp before it was clear cut for anthony davis and lebron like anthony davis lebron james anthony davis lebron james and then kcp (laughs) was just lights out like what about me you got to mention me at least once Am I in the conversation? I'm KCP. Yeah. That's yeah. him right there. So um, props to he those fi- guys. He was filling the role that Danny Green was meant to play mm-hmm. in a lot of in a lot of uh, moments, right? So he was the spot up shooter from the corner. Um, a lot of people. What do you think about last game where he dished it out to Danny Green, and people were saying he should have dished it out to AD? Oh, uh, you think- talking about the wraparound pass or? Yeah, at the very end of of game uh game You're five. Yeah. Well, no, well, uh, in, in my opinion, um, we have an angle that always it doesn't always tell us the whole story. He ended up tossing it behind his head towards Danny Green. Not the perfect pass. It was, it was a difficult pass. Danny Green had to kind of retrieve it from his right side, and maybe that contributed to him not shooting or not making it. Um, but if he would have wrapped it around the corner, kind of like Damian Lillard does in Portland, uh, to whoever's in the corner, wherever... Um, was Anthony Davis? Wherever. Was it Anthony? It wasn't Contavious mm-hmm. Caldwell Pope? Contavious so Caldwell Pope ended up on the on the wing um, okay. after the after it landed in Danny Green's hands. Oh that well, was, KCP I thought, was on the I wing. thought it was KCP, but then if it was Anthony Davis, I still thought it should have wrapped around to him. So I think we're on the same wavelength. I and thought Markeith Markeith was in the other corner. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I thought he should have tossed it to the corner to whoever was there. So I think we're on the same wavelength in that yeah. at that point. And when Marquise Morris uh, got the ball, he wanted to take it into the post to Anthony Davis where he threw it out of bounds. But if Anthony Davis gets that pass, if he throws a better pass and Anthony Davis catches it, Anthony Davis is going to get fouled. He's going to go up for a beneath-the-rim layup or dunk attempt. He's going to either make the dunk or get fouled. So that's not necessarily a bad decision. But if I'm Marquise Morris, you know, there was still almost six seconds on the clock. There was time to just throw it to LeBron. <laughs> LeBron was also open. He was on the right I wing. Think, I think like that's this. who he was trying to get it to, honestly. Well, he threw it to Anthony Davis for sure. Because Anthony Davis had a post. Oh, that was Anthony Davis. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, he should have, he could have handed it to LeBron. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, LeBron was on the right side. So that's yeah. kind of where I think that could have gone. But hey, man. You're not, kid- you're not kidding about these offensive adjustments by the coaching staff. If you look at it, they played the series. They played to the team every single series. If you look at the Houston Rockets series where they just ran over them, right? Same thing. They sat down to item JaVale McGee, even though those two guys contributed a lot to their Yeah, they said, over. y'all want to play small ball? We can do it better because we got LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team. <laughs> yeah. And, like, even though those two guys contributed greatly to the to the victory over Portland, right, because they had to match their bigs, Dwight Howard played his role. JaVale McGee played a little bit, not quite as much. But Dwight Howard was having his day against Portland, right? So it was very much chess, right? They were like, okay. You're going to play big men, two big men. We're going to throw two big men at you. You're going to play small ball. Like you said, we're going to play it better than you. And in this series, it was pretty much like, uh, like you said, they started off with the Howard in this game and they changed it to Caruso. Let's protect the ball. Let's not turn it over like we did in games. Because they turned the ball over a lot more in game five. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they were like, let's protect oh. the ball. And the Lakers are doing such a great job getting down the court on fast breaks, on turnovers, and on made shots. And they've been doing that in previous series too. But they, they cashed in, in bro. Game. They cashed in like almost every time. It feels like I don't like like it seemed like every time they got a turnover, they cashed in on it. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're super smart, and that's that's like the biggest understatement of the century. But if I'm telling you that they're gonna double team Anthony Davis every time he catches the ball and make it difficult, if LeBron James is gonna be playing so many minutes guarding Jimmy Butler on a lot of possessions. He doesn't want to have to pound the ball into the ground and, you know, get ahead of steam every time. He's yeah. saying, we want to make it easier on ourselves. Get the fuck down the court, Anthony Davis. You are fast. You are a gazelle. And you can catch, like, you're taller than anybody I've ever played with. Mm-hmm. Get down there. We're going to get an easy bucket and make it easier on ourselves. And then set defense afterward. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. Um, so the big winners on the night, obviously the Lakers and LeBron James. On the uh, year, really. Congratulations, yeah, Los Angeles Lakers fans. Now the... In that same breath, Rich, the losers of the night, the Los Angeles Lakers Clippers. Fans. Oh, because oh, <laughs> they don't get to be there? No, because of what transpired yesterday through uh, hmm. NBA Twitter. I just got to spend a little bit of time on this and not give those uh, clowns too much time. Yeah. <laughs> but the people who are threatening Danny Green's wife, threatening Danny Green, asking, thinking he should die, like there's no place in that for the NBA. If you were anybody who participates in that kind of slander, towards, uh, particularly towards your own team, um like you're not a fan of the game guys at the end of the game we at the end of the day we do want this our our the players to take this game seriously right because um it is just the game but it also is something that that people are passionate about the players the coaches the fans we should all be passionate about it if it's something we really enjoy so i understand the passion but when, when you sum it up and you talk about threatening people's lives like in that regard, it is just the game. Like, in that regard, it is a game, guys. It's okay to be passionate, but nothing warrants that kind of behavior ever. And It's, it's not it's, as though Danny Green meant to miss that. Obviously, every NBA player that's in that bubble has spent the better part of 90 days away from their loved ones. Yeah, they're getting paid, 
but he could have not been there and still been getting paid. There are players that have abstained from the activities in, in Orlando and, you know, collected their paycheck. So obviously they're taking it seriously. They want to be there. They want to win for themselves, their teammates, their families, and for the fans too. So way, yeah. to, way to kill the mood. You guys took the you fools saying those things took like three commentary minutes away from regular fans trying to enjoy the game where Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy had to speak on how much, uh, how big of an idiot everyone is that made those threats. Like you're ruining the game for everyone by, yeah, by saying things it, like that. Yeah. And it paints, the, it paints the fandom in a bad light. And obviously it's not everybody, but it really makes people think, well, how can you not be appreciative of these people that are putting their bodies on the line that are, you know, away from home and they're doing it for our entertainment and ultimately to bring your city a championship. Because I know at the end of the day, I've met Lakers fans, and I'm not dissing everybody, but they will chant this title just like any other one, right? They will live it up. Every time you bring up basketball, they're going to let you know that they're a Lakers fan. And they're going to hype it up just the same, even though they might have been the same ones wishing, you know, the worst for Danny Green. And it's, it's ridiculous. So um, we'll spend more time on that. Congratulations to the Lakers. You For guys sure. Deserve it. And I guess I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing before we go, and I wanted to kind of have a, a public service announcement before the end of the podcast, uh, and as long as, as and all the regular housekeeping. But before we go, what did uh, thank you for joining me on this emergency pod? What is the number one thing you're going to remember from the bubble overall? You know, we're going to have maybe a long off season. What are you going to think back to and think about most fondly? I asked this about Andre, so I want to hear your your answer. Daniel House sneaking in. Oh the, God! The COVID nineteen. Wow! Lady. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, what am I gonna remember the most? I think what I'm gonna remember the most, and I almost hope that this becomes an everyday thing. Just the type of platform that the NBA allowed the t- the players to have, um, from beginning to end, seeing the messages on the back of their jerseys. Um, it allowed it to never become an afterthought. And I hope that even after this, it never becomes an afterthought. And I hope that every major sports league that has embraced this movement uh, during these times continues to do so and allows their players to express themselves freely because it doesn't hurt anybody. And those people, the people that are, that are more worried about what's on the back of their jerseys as opposed to what's going on on the streets in the real world, um, they should really Take a look in the mirror and reflect and understand that it's much more than just that. It's not politics. It's human rights. It's right. people human coming lives. together. Yeah, human lives. It's people coming together to defend each other, to come to each other's aid and ultimately become a better and stronger people and become a more united nation. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the land where people can come in and from whatever background, you know, flourish and prosper. And it's just not the case right now. So my message is to hopefully we continue to do that. And anybody listening out there, regardless of how many people tune into this episode, get out there and vote if you want to make a difference. Uh, Still time to do that. And if you're, I I believe you can still register, Rich, by the time this pod is up. Registration, we believe Andre told me in Texas it's over with, but it could be different in your state. But in your state, it could be different. Double check. And if you are registered, make sure you get out there and uh, make your Take someone with you. Exactly. Yeah. Be safe. Um, I wanted to. That's very eloquently said. Thank you for saying that, JV. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. I mean, if you can make society better, why not? It doesn't hurt you. It only makes it better for everyone, for those that are here with you now and who come after you. So definitely strive to be the best version of yourself uh, and help everyone that you can and lift others up. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what, you know, uh, you and I, our families uh, came here to give us better lives. And we're trying to take advantage of that. 
So we want to do that for people who come after us. And can I just do one last little note for the Lakers yeah. players out there and for the, the Heat players too. Um, thank you for for doing this, right? For giving us something to watch to help us get through these times because we are still in a pandemic, right? The NBA season's mm-hmm. over, but the pandemic's not. So everybody out there be safe, but just thank them for their for their time, for you know, for their lively for putting their bodies on the line essentially, being away from home. And I'm just so happy for them because they get to go home. They get yeah. to go finally yep. back to normal. That like, bubble's gonna be empty like, for a while. <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel it for them. Like, yes, you get to go home. You get to go just not think about the next game. Uh, mm-hmm. even if you did, if you're on the heat, you know, and you, you came a little, a little bit short, but you they still have a lot gave to you but hey, go home, enjoy your time with your family. I, mean, I can't imagine what the feeling is right now, right? Just for them, like they've been there that long and they get to go home. It's just like, cool. Yeah, it's still a little party <laughs> no matter who they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the final PSA was enjoy the parade, Los Angeles. Please be safe. Don't go to the parade if if you can stand it. Like the championship is still yours to enjoy all year long. You can party all year long in safe spaces. Uh, and then vote safely. Take someone with you. Observe social distancing. We're still in the pandemic. And I guess the final thing uh, after we say that is going to be our social media. And then we'll we'll jet, uh, JV. Where can the people find the rest of our content? If you aren't already following us, we are on Twitter, at Show. That's at Show. Instagram, the underscore ShotCallers. We are on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, Stitcher, Spotify, and a few others uh, that I might not have mentioned. But... If you want to reach us directly, you can always send us an email to shotcallershow at gmail.com. That's shotcallershow at gmail.com. Yeah, so we're going to hit the mailbag, uh, I'm sure, a little harder this week. Me and Andre are going to meet up, and we're going to talk about our offseason plans, keep you guys uh, in the know about what's going to be coming up for us during the offseason. We know free agency is coming up, so please stay tuned for that. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I got my man, JV. I'm Rich. And we're the shot colors. Thanks for the outro. No problem. No problem. (laughs)